Well, it's good to be with friends and family, and um, it just brings back lots of memories. We were here year 20 when this building opened and uh, served here for eight and a half years and then went to Vernon for three years and then came back for a period of three and a half years and then retired, but you never retired in the Lord. So it's good to read the word, of, the word together, so let us read from Exodus 5. Verse 1 through Exodus 6, verse 9. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three days journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required for you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers, were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota or bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appeared to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of, your own, of you each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites when the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with the uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. I've got a car. It's a black car. It's a Ford Fusion. <clears throat> and I, I like it. It's a bit old, uh, but it's comfortable. And it's got really fancy features like air conditioning. And it has windows that go up and down at the push of a button. Uh, really fancy. It's got a radio in there. And I can listen to the radio as I'm driving along. And it's, it's a beautiful car. Um, I don't think, has it got heated seats? I'm not too sure. It has. They'll be handy if it did, but uh, it doesn't have that. But it's a comfortable car. I, I really do like it. And it gets me from A to B. It gets me from my home to church. <clears throat> um, however, if my car had a flat tire, then it's not much use to me, is it, really? I can sit inside of the car and I can listen to the radio or I can play with the windows going up or down um, or I can, if it's a warm day, put the air conditioning on. But it's not getting me to work. It's not doing the job it wasn't designed to be doing. And I think it's very much like us as Christians. We are made, each and every one of us, made in the image of God. But the thing is, we all have issues that need addressing in order for us. Thank you, Adam. <clears throat> That's very kind. What a community we have there. Eh? What an elder. Seven hearted. Thank you, Adam. We are very much like that car. <clears throat> we are designed for a purpose. We are made in the image of God to be his hands and feet. And yet, we too have issues that we need dealing with. Each and every one of us have flat tires or broken windscreens or wonky aerials that need dealing with it in order for us to be able to function the way God intends us to be. We need to deal with those flat tires in our own lives in order for us to continue going from A to B in the direction that God wants us to go in. And today we're going to start a series looking at the life of Moses and the people of God as they moved from Egypt to the promised land that God called them to go. You see, <clears throat> the people of God, they were in Egypt for a time in slavery. 
They were in bondage. They weren't supposed to be there. They were created for a purpose, to do a job. And yet they find themselves in Egypt, in the right-hand side over there, slaves, not doing what they were called to be doing. And God leads them through the desert, through the wilderness, to the promised land that he had called them to do. <clears throat> Thanks, Brad. It's terrible. If you're watching online, I'm so sorry. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks leading up into Christmas. We're going to be looking at the key moments that God led his people. Sorry. I wasn't shouting. I was like really good. Those two yellow cards, I didn't get any of them. <coughs> it could be a long morning. <coughs> okay. Get it clear. So we're going to be looking at key moments as people leave the, uh, Egypt and God leads them to the promised land over the coming weeks. And I want us to look at what we can learn, what lessons we can learn going from, uh, as, as they go through the journey, what lessons can we learn in, in our lives today in 2023? You see, even though this is the Old Testament, and this was written over 3,400 years ago, it is still very relevant for us today because all of Scripture is relevant uh, for us in our lives. And you might be asking, why are we looking at an Old Testament passage? Well, interestingly, the book of Exodus starts with the letter, uh, the word, and. It starts with and. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, starts with and. And you think, well, that's a bit of a strange thing to start with. But it's not just Exodus. The book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the book of Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, 2 Chronicles, to name a few, start with the book of And, even though it's not translated in our Bibles. Why is that important? Because the Bible is a continuing story going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It is one big story of God's plan for us in our lives. And so it is relevant. The Bible is relevant for us today. I love how Exodus starts. It starts looking at the end of Genesis. Exodus 1. These and, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob and his family. And the end of Genesis, it starts, it ends so Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he placed him in a coffin. So they end with Joshua, with the end with Joseph, and it starts with his family, remembers. It's a continuing story. The Bible is one big story, all pointing towards God's plan and Jesus Christ in our lives today. So we want to look at Exodus, and we're going to be looking at how relevant that is today. But I also want to highlight that this isn't just some story we tell children in Sunday school on a Sunday morning. These were real events that happened. This is a historical document that we're able to learn from. The inspired word of God, but it's historical. How do we know this? Well, we have evidence to point toward it. There's a stone there that you can find. If you go to the British History Museum, 
You will sign this stone. Does anybody know what it's called? The Rosetta Stone. That's right. And the Rosetta Stone is three, there's three languages written on this. You've got Greek, and then you've got two types of Egyptian um, language on there. One of them is hieroglyphics. Now, for many years, the people, the clever scientists and, you know, linguists weren't able to um, interpret hieroglyphics. They didn't know what it meant. All these symbols, they had no understanding until during the, the Napoleon Revolution, they discovered this, uh, the stone uh, and they discovered that these languages, it was three different types of languages for the same message. And so because they could understand Greek, they could understand and translate hieroglyphics. And because of that, they were able to, once they started uh, deciphering hieroglyphics, they came across a temple, the temple uh, of Celeb, which was built by um, the next one, Steve, uh, the temple of Celeb there, uh, which is in today modern uh, northern uh, Sudan. <clears throat> this was uh, an Egyptian temple, which was built by uh, Pharaoh Amepetef, and he um, put in there some, uh, if you go the next one, Steve, there's some circular pillars and it documents the history of Egypt and the conquests and the fighting. And so the, you can see there that there's some uh, people bound by their arms. These are prisoners of war that the Egyptians have conquered uh, from different parts of Africa. Uh, so there, there's some African people there. But what is interesting in the next slide is this one here. It is of somebody of uh, Semitic uh, origin, and you can see that he's pointing his face, you can't see it, but he is pointing north, hinting towards um, a tribe who, a people group that has been conquered by the Egyptians. And within the, the, the hieroglyphics on there, it says this on the hieroglyphics. It says, land of the Shashu of Yahweh. Shashu means wandering sheep nomads. And I say this because the Pharaoh is documenting God on this. He's highlighting <clears throat> that the Egyptians have got into some war with the enemies of the wandering sheep nomads who worship Yahweh. Why is that interesting? In our passage this morning, Exodus 5, chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, afterwards Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? The Lord here is Yahweh. The Lord here is Yahweh. That I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. I do not know Yahweh. And I will not let Israel go. This temple was built around 1400 B.C., and in the time between this, this was written and the time in a hundred years later, Pharaoh does know Yahweh. 
It's documented. They know him. They're scared of him. They're scared of the wandering nomads, of the people of God so much so that they have to document it on there as their enemies. The wandering nomads of Yahweh. It's interesting that even in the Bible, 1 Kings 6 tells us that Solomon built the temple 480 years after the people left the land of Egypt, which tells us that the, if you match the times up, the time between the people in slavery in Egypt and being freed lines up to when this temple was built and lines up historically with the Bible. Archaeology and the Bible tell us that these are true stories. They're not just some fable, but stories that we can live by. This is the word of God, and this is important. And the thing that really encourages me, Pharaoh doesn't know Yahweh, but then when the people of God leave Egypt, they know Yahweh. They know him, and they're scared of him. You see, there are many people today who do not know God, who do not know Jesus Christ. But when you have an encounter with Christ in your lives, he changes lives. And you know him. If you know of anybody who's come to Jesus Christ, they are a new people. They are a new creation. They are different. You can't help but meet with God. And if you do, you'll never forget him. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The greatest miracle ever to be performed in the history of humanity is when somebody comes to Christ. When their old life is gone and their new life has come. And we know for certainty that they're going to have eternal life. Life now with Christ and life for all eternity. For me, that's the greatest miracle. Jesus changes lives. Pharaoh didn't know Yahweh here. But at the end, we'll find out next week, he will find out who Yahweh really is. And the Egyptians don't forget. So why are we looking at Exodus? Why is this important? Well, um, it's important because in the end of Genesis, we see, we're reminded of the story of Joseph. God had put Joseph into a position of leadership in Egypt so that when the famine struck, his whole family could be saved. Why did the family of Joseph matter to God? Because it was through this line of people that God planned to create a special nation who would be pleasing to God and who would bless the whole earth. And that was God's original plan in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says that the Israelites or the people of God are to, to be fruitful and to fill the land. And in Exodus 1, verse 7, it says that the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. The people are, being, uh, are doing what God said. They're fulfilling the promises of God. They're becoming a numerous people. They're becoming so numerous that Pharaoh, after 430 years of them being in Egypt, they've forgotten the good things of Joseph. They've forgotten all the things that Joseph has done for them. Pharaoh's forgotten all of that and he sees this big, numerous, fruitful people who are growing and he is scared. He's scared of them. They've gone from a family of 70 people 
who've landed in, in Egypt to almost two million people and Pharaoh is scared. And so what does he do? He, he puts them into slavery. He makes their life hard. He says, if I can only enslave these people, then they won't uprise against me. And we see this in Exodus 5 verse 4. The king of Egypt said to Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. The Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are numerous and you are stopping them from working. Pharaoh's scared of these people. He strikes fear into the heart of Pharaoh. And so Moses and Aaron, we see in this passage, have been called by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. God has sent us to free, to redeem the people. And I love chapter six. And I think this is something for us to highlight in our Bibles. If you don't mind highlighting, highlight this. Chapter six, <clears throat> verses six to eight. Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let the people go. I don't know who Yahweh is. And the people are lazy. Get them back to work. Stop giving them straw. If they've got time to go and worship God, they've got time to get their own straw. And so Pharaoh stops them getting straw for the workers. And we see the end of chapter 5, that the foremen are, are given a true account. And they're beaten for not getting the quarter. And they go and they have a good whine at Moses and say, Moses, what have you done? That's what happens in leadership. You make decisions and people come whining. What have you done? This is what God was saying. And so Moses is feeling bad. And Aaron, like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And God says to them, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Steve, I will bring them out of the yoke. He says, these are, these are the things that God says to them. I will relieve your burden. I will bring you from your burden. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will be the last one there, Steve, at the bottom. And I will be your people. There are four things that God says to the people of Israel there. I will relieve you from your burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. It sounds very much like the gospel, right? So Moses comes along and reminds them of God's covenant and he shares this good news with the people. But the people are not experiencing these things. They're not experiencing any of this and undoubtedly find that what Moses is saying hard to believe. Yet 40 years later from this point, we know that they enter into the promised land and then we, we know that they enter into the land of, of milk and honey, into the promises of God. And with hindsight, we can, we can see this. But when you're going through that journey, when you're going through a hardship, it's hard for us to remind ourselves that God is there in our lives and he's working and he wants those things for us. 
God wants to relieve us from our burdens. God wants us to deliver us. God wants to redeem us, to free us. God wants us to be part of his family. But when we're going through hard times, we don't always see it that way. So as we start this series leading up to Christmas, I want us to compare the two scenarios that the people of God were under between Egypt and the promised land, between the hardship that they were facing and God's promises. And the first thing that we see with Egypt is death. I have two girls, um, they're nine and 11 now, and they love playing together. They love role plays. They, they'll play, you know, doctors and nurses or they'll play teachers and students, something like this. And they, they like to role play. They like to have a bit of fun. And when I, I ask them, what do you want to do when you get older? What, what job do you want to do? And, you know, my eldest, she says, I want to be a teacher. You know, my youngest, she wants to be a vet. And they've got these wonderful aspirations. And, you know, she, she, loves, she loves pigs. So I'm a bit worried we have a hog roast later on this morning. <laughs> it's going to be an experience for her. And so they, they, they have aspirations. But when you are in Egypt and you're stuck in slavery, tomorrow could be the last day. You're working in the heat. Your, your parents are being beaten because you're not meeting the quarter of bricks. Every day is fearful. And so they live in fear. Do the children have aspirations of what they want to be when they grow older? No, because all they know is death and slavery. And that's the next thing, slavery. In Egypt, there's death and there's slavery. All day, every day, 365 days of the year, they are owned. They are a possession. Night and day, they are to do nothing but work. Imagine going to sleep at night, just groaning in pain. And if they believe in God still, that they've prayed out to God. And it says here that God, verse 5, I've heard, God says, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites. They're in pain. It's not easy. And they're crying out to God, but yet God has heard them. There's no, there's no hope of success, which is the next thing. There's no hope. This is what hopelessness does to you. I remember, I can only think of one time in my life when there's been, I have just felt complete hopelessness. I'm a guy who likes to do things. If there's a problem, I like to solve it. If there's a challenge, I need to be there and I need to fix it. That's how I work. And so I like to fix it straight away. If there's a problem, come to me and we'll fix it together, right? I don't like to dilly-dally. And so one time when my daughter, Amelie, was born, uh, we, got, we, we, we got home, we got a phone call and she said, you've got to come straight to the hospital straight away. Your daughter has uh, this bacteria, uh, flesh-eating bacteria disease, streptococcus, something or other. And so we, we were like, oh, okay. So we go to the hospital and, you know, we, as parents, a little bit concerned. And so we see the nurse and the nurse says, 
oh, wait a minute, let me go and get the, uh, the doctor. And so the doctor comes in, he looks at the reports, oh, wait a minute, let me go and get the, the next person, the consultant. The consultant says, oh, wait a minute, let me go and get the, the next one. And so next thing you know, we've got the highest medical person in the hospital saying, right, you've got to go to emergency isolation right now. And so my wife and my daughter are in emergency uh, isolation for, for like a week. And as a dad, I'm just, I'm, I feel helpless. There's nothing you can do. You've got a newborn baby. And I felt complete, completely helpless. I had no hope. I was thinking, there's nothing I can do in my own strength except for pray. And the people here, I imagine they've got no hope. There's no king. There's no way out. How are they going to get out of Egypt? How are they going to get out of slavery? This kind of like slavery is just sucking the life out of them. Because they feel forgotten. They feel like their prayers aren't being answered. Who's looking after them? They're tired of life. Does this feel like you sometimes? That you feel like there's no hope? You feel that there's, you've been a forgotten. You've forgotten in life. Where's your hope come from? Well, that's what happens when they were in Egypt. But yet, Moses comes along with some good news. He says, God is with you and he's going to free you. And these are the promises that God gives to the people. Where there was death, God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to deliver you. Where there's death, there's deliverance. You see, God is faithful to his promises. God remembers his people. God remembers the promises he gave to Abraham and to the people. And he says, I'm going to deliver you. And this is the information he gives to Moses. And he promises to take his people out of this situation, to move them on from death and hopelessness and bondage into something way better. The Bible tells us when Moses came to God's people in Egypt telling them this, it would have been hard for them to hear, if not impossible, because in their circumstances, they could only see the death and the hopelessness and the pain. And this might be you today, but let me encourage you. If there's God on our side, if there's God in your life, then he will always lead you to something better. God says, I, sovereign God, your way, will lead the people from this situation into something way better, into a life of, of freedom. And this is exactly what God does in our lives today through Jesus Christ. When we put our hope in Jesus, when we ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins, he picks us up out of the dirt, he cleans us up, and he gives us new life. The old is gone, the Bible says, Paul says our old life is gone, a new life in Jesus Christ. He says that we get rid of our old garments and we throw them away of sin and despair and regret. And he clothes us with new garments of hope and of life. That's what happens when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. When God delivers us, 
It is just the start. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus, it is just the beginning of the gospel message. It's not the end, it begins there. There's a, there's a famous artist called Taylor Swift. Have you heard of her? Anybody? To get tickets to see a Taylor Swift concert is hard, right? Christy, how many people applied? Christy was telling me the information. How many people applied for the, in the world, in, in Canada? 34 million people applied to go and see uh, Taylor Swift in Toronto, right? So there's like, I don't know, 30,000 tickets, something like a lot of people applied to go and see Taylor Swift. And imagine getting a ticket. How happy would you be to see? Well, perhaps you wouldn't. I don't know, Andy, were you happy to see Taylor Swift? Imagine getting a ticket to see Taylor Swift. Yeah, I've got the ticket. And you go all the way to Toronto and you've got your ticket and you're so happy and you've beat all the other millions of people there. And you get there and you, you get your flights to Toronto and you, you arrive and you get to the stadium and you're outside and you think, I've got the ticket to see Taylor Swift. And you see the stadium and the lights. What do you do then? Do you go home at that point? You think, hey, I've had a great experience. No, that's just part of it. That's just the, you've got the ticket, you've got access. But then you've got to step into that beautiful concert of Taylor and all the things that goes on. I don't know what goes on. I've never seen it, but I hear it's good. 34, people, 34 million people tell me it's a good thing, right? And so you go, and you've got to go into the stadium. You've got to go through the turnstile. And you go, and you get yourself a, one of your Canadian hot dogs. And you go up the stairs, and you find your seat. And, and then there's lights, and there's fireworks, and everything else. And Taylor comes on, and everyone's like, ah! And it's like, this is amazing, right? And you're singing, and you're dancing, and whatever goes on, and, and all of that, right? And then, and then you go, and you've had a great experience. And then that's it. You go home. And that's the same as the Christian life. It feels as if so many Christians, we accept Christ in our lives. We've got the ticket. It gives us access to God. But then we stand outside the stadium for the rest of our lives waiting for eternity. It's half the gospel. When we have access to God, when we accept Christ in our lives, Jesus lives in us, in and through us. And at that moment then, we have access to enter into the presence of God. And allow Jesus to transform us in and through us. And that's what we see. We see that it's called sanctification, the process where God is moving us on, making us more like Jesus every single day. So many Christians are standing outside the stadium with a ticket. I've got access to God. I've accepted Jesus in my life and that's it. They're not living the full promises of God. If God's not changing you, you're not meeting with Jesus every day. If you don't see yourself moving along, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in the promises that God has for us, we're standing outside the stadium with our tickets. You might not even have a ticket this morning. You might not even believe in Jesus. But that's what God does. God moves us from death and hopelessness into the promises that he has for us. But we have to continue to walk into the promises that God has for us. He gives us deliverance and freedom. And he gives us hope. 
This is the things that we have in Jesus Christ. But then the most beautiful thing about this is that you may feel forgotten or neglected, but when we are in Christ, we become, we belong to God. We belong to his family. We become sons and daughters of the most high God. We become inherited into his family and that can never be taken away. I love 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Amen. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, He lives in us. We have that life-transforming presence of Christ in us, moving us on. We also become heirs of God. We become brothers and sisters of Christ Jesus. And God has a plan for us. God had a plan for the Israelites and God has a plan for us today as individuals. I want to share a verse with two Corinthians. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When we say amen, we are saying we believe the promises that God has for our lives. We are saying, I believe, I'm speaking out loud, the glory of God in my life. When we say amen, we are saying, I believe what God has done and what God is going to do in my life. God's going to continue moving me along. God's going to continue dealing with the issues I have in my life. God's going to continue making me more like him every single day. But we have to enter into the promises that God has for us. We have to keep meeting Jesus every single day. That life of Christ in us. Are we meeting Jesus every day? Do we know him as our Lord and Savior? Are we spending time with him? Are we allowing God to move us on as he intended? Or are we still living in Egypt? God wanted to get the people out of Egypt, but he wanted to get Egypt out of the people as well. When we come into Christ, Christ, he gets us out of our old lives, but he wants to get our old lives out of us as well. This is the glory of God. This is how beautiful God is. All the promises of God, of what the Messiah would be like, have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was completely faithful in his ministry. He never sinned. He faithfully died for us. And when we, he rose and ascended into heaven, he began to intercede for us uh, on our behalf to God. And he lives in us every single day. That could never be taken away. When God redeems us from sin, he delivers us, accepts us, and becomes our God. And then he leads us into a new life as we follow him. And so, as we start our series, I want us to learn the lessons that the Egyptians learned. But this morning, I want to be reminded of the fact that as God led the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land, God continues to lead us 
from our old lives and he gives us something way better in Christ Jesus. If you do not know Jesus today as your Lord and your Savior, then please do come and speak to me or any of our elders this morning or anyone in this band and say, hey, I want the promises of God in my life. I want Jesus as my life. I want Jesus as my Savior. I want him to live in me and to continue transforming him and for me to keep living in the promises God has for me. If that's you this morning, then I do welcome you to come later on this morning and we will pray with you and explain what that means. But be encouraged. God is good. He loves you. And when we are in Christ, we will always live in his family. He's our God. He's our father. He's our friend. He loves us so much. He loves you so much. Never forget that. Be encouraged. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to come together and celebrate our 40th anniversary here as a church. We thank you for the, the faithfulness and the promises that you've given to new life over these years. That you've led the church in the highs and the lows. That you've continued to be faithful and that new life has continued to be faithful to you. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we can continue to give you the glory in all that we do. In everything, Lord, we give you the glory for you deserve nothing less. Everything that we do, Lord, is for you. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that new life can continue to be a beacon in this valley, just pointing people towards Jesus, Lord, in all that we do. I thank you for your word, the word, the Bible. And we thank you, though, that, that it, it is a historical document that we can live from and that we can study and that we can grow, Lord. But I thank you above everything else. Just as you led the people of God out of Egypt to the promised land that you guide and lead us to. That if we put our trust in you, if we put our trust in Jesus, that our old lives are gone and we get new, new life in Christ. And that you continue guiding us, Lord, each and every day. You never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, our salvation can never be taken away. We love you, Lord, so much. And we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.